Love no fear. Okay, now I got to get Chris on the line. Okay, we all should be on. And we're we're perfect. We've got three minutes to spare. (laughs) You want me to let you know when we're coming close? I got it on here. I got it showing me on the on the dashboard of the studio. Okay. Hi there. Sorry about that. We're all. I'm trying to connect everybody at once. Usually my engineer does this. <laughs> There's a reason I don't do it. Yeah, I'm familiar with the technical difficulties. No problem. Okay. So uh, I have Bob Lang on the line, my Hi. co-host. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? Great to have you on. Bob, pleasure to meet you. Thank so um, do we refer to you as Christopher or Chris on the show? Uh, either is fine. Chris is just as fine. Okay, well, I know um, Debbie called you Chris in the emails, so I just wanted to, we'll probably end up calling you Chris if you don't mind. Um, so I'm going to introduce, introduce you as Christopher Harris, you're the Executive Director of Unhyphenated America, and our show today is going to be about, we're going to really kind of let you lead the show because we love your message and we want we want people to hear your message, especially out here in California, and um we really want to talk about the Confederate flag banning, giving it more power. My belief is you ban something that gives it more power. It already is becoming like this crazy issue. Um, do you agree with that? Are you seeing that out there? Are we on agreement with this? Well, yeah, I think it's definitely been uh, it's been used as a tool to divide. Right. Um, you know, and they're just exploiting things. They're exploiting uh, the situation out in Charleston and okay. Well, let's get let's, okay. Let's get it good. Uh, we don't need. Let's. I'm going to do my. We're going to do our intro, and then I'm. I want you to talk about that, and then um, we want to talk about the fact the American flag is also at risk, and how we want yeah. to talk about what the flag means because this is going to be our Fourth of July show. So you know, I love your okay. patriotism too. So and you're also a uh, military. You're. I want to ask you about your background, but you were raised in the military, right? Yes, my father's a career Air Force. Awesome. Okay, even better for our show. Okay, let's hold tight. We're going to do a three seconds. I'm just going to take a breath. Bob, you ready? We'll go for our... I'm ready. Make sure you got the recording going, okay? It's on. We're good. Okay, we got... Okay, I just have to take a breath. It's early out here still for us, Chris. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Here we go. Three, two, one. Good afternoon, Los Angeles. I am Maureen Enner, your Northern California Connection. Good afternoon, San Francisco. My name is Bob Lang, your Southern California Connection. And together we are your California Connection. Happy Fourth of July weekend, Bob. Oh, I can't believe it. It's finally here. We're, we're halfway through the year, Maureen, and uh, we have a Fourth of July that's actually on a Saturday. So it's, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of traffic, but, you know, and, and it's been really hot out here in Southern California, but I think it's going uh, to be a great weekend. Don't, how about hot, you? Yeah, hot everywhere. Very hot up here in the Bay Area. Unusually warm. No marine layer. The city is, is warm. But always on the Fourth of July, the fog rolls in and ruins the fireworks in San Francisco ever since I was a kid. So 
let's see. I, I, to this day, I've never seen a firework go off in the city without the fog coming. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, hopefully, maybe you'll lock out this year. And then you'll... Well, we are actually headed to Santa Cruz to stay at a beach house for a few days. So it's always warm and, and, and nice down there. So anyways, happy 4th of July to everyone. Please be safe out there and enjoy yourselves. And it is a time to really reflect on what this country is, what the flag means to us, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. We really are going to be honoring our flag, our country, um, and the people that built this country. Everyone, every single person, whatever your race was, was a contributor to making this country great. As I've said so many times on the show, I'm a fifth-generation native. My grandparents built San Francisco in the 1850s, and, um, you know, we have to take time and remember all of those people, right, Bob? Well, yes, and happy birthday to the United States, 239 years old uh, tomorrow. And, uh, uh, you know, it, 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 really, it, it really means a whole lot to, to bring it all back home to what is going on in this country here. There's so many things happening that are bad, but when you, when you sit back and reflect about the start of our country and what our forefathers went through to get the freedoms that we have, you know, when, when, when things like, uh, flag burning and that sort of stuff is going on. It's, it, it really smacks of, 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 a, of a time when um, we, we, we just don't really know what, what, what is going on, and it, it really puzzles a lot of people. And I think this, this holiday, among others, you know, is one that we can step back and, and really uh, reflect and, and try and maybe start anew, right? Exactly, exactly. Well, we have a really great guest who's going to be joining us for this for our entire show. His name is Christopher Harris. Christopher is the executive director of Unhyphenated America. I'm going to let him explain the title, but if you don't, I think it is just a phenomenal title. Great website. Great yeah. website and he has a website, unhyphenatedamerica.com. We will yep. obviously be putting it all over our site and advertising him. And he is on the line. Welcome, uh, Chris, to our show. Welcome to California Connection on LA Talk Radio. Thank you, Maureen. Thank you, Bob. Good to talk to you. Great just to have uh, you one here, quick uh, correction. It's actually unhyphenatedamerica.org. Oh, I'm sorry, .org. No problem. I'm very sorry. It's an un- unhyphenatedamerica.org. And, and, Christopher, we will have all of your stuff on our website, our Facebook page. We'll, we'll promote everything so that our listeners can uh, catch the download if they don't hear this live. Great. Thank you. So um, explain to me how you came up with the name Unhyphenated America. Well, actually, uh, a partner of mine, uh, Kevin Jackson, I don't know if you're familiar with him. Love uh, Kevin. Together with him. Yeah, yeah, Kevin is a, is a good buddy of mine and partner. And uh, we, we came up with the idea because, you know, you see everything that's been going on, and Kevin and I are of the same mind on this. I mean, obviously, of course, if you ever see a picture of me, I'm black, right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, that doesn't define who I am. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know, I'm, I'm more defined by, how I think, and that's what makes me an American because Americans are not defined by the color of their skin or where they came from. Being an American is all about what your thought process is and whether you accept and embrace American ideas. And if you do that, there's no need to hyphenate anything. You're quite simply an American. Thank you. Amen to that. And and listen, you know what? Uh, we, we had been hearing a lot of people talking about the separation of, of, of races and so forth, and I happen to agree with you. You know, we just got to get rid of, uh, of that, that, that hyphen, I know, African-American or Indian-American or Asian-American. Just, just Let's just call everybody an American, right? Yeah, that's, it's just simpler. 
It's so much simpler if we do that. Yeah. Right. So it's, that I mean, there's um, no need to, to add all that. Right. I'm a fifth-generation native. Our, our listeners are probably sick of hearing me say that, but basically I'm nothing. I'm just straight California girl. I, I don't even know where to go back five generations to find out what I am. I mean, I'm just a, uh, an American California girl, <laughs> right? Well, exactly. I mean, you know, we're, we're Americans, and then we can go a little bit further and say, hey, um, you know, you're a Californian or you're a Texan or you're whatever like that. But, you know, inherent in saying that you're a Californian is that you're an American. Right. You know, but there's no doubt about that. And, uh, you know, I'm, I have my niece in town visiting. And, of course, besides the fact of, you know, the bloodline that we have being, you know, black and everything, my, my sister married a guy who was Spanish and Native American, you know, and, uh, and you know, with her bloodline, I mean, she would be calling herself a Native American, Spanish, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's like you keep adding in all these things, but it just complicates it. Chris, I think some of that complication turns into um, entitlements. So, in other words, I think that, you know, somebody who calls himself, you know, um, like I said, African-American and then Indian-American or whatever, Asian-American, they're, they're entitled to certain benefits that are out there. And really, as an American, the only benefit that we really all share in common is the freedom to go out and, and make a living and be as successful and, and earn as much as we possibly can, um, learn as much as po- we possibly can um, to, with no limits, right? Well, exactly. And uh, when I was on, I did uh, the Megan Kelly show, uh, the Kelly Files, a couple of weeks ago, and we were touching on the whole Rachel Dolezal thing. And you know, I, I I have a tendency to be a little bit of a smart aleck. And you know, to be honest, I actually prefer doing radio over doing TV because you can actually get a full thought out as opposed to trying to put in sound bites. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, on that issue, you know, I was kind of touching on the fact that here's what she was doing. She was trying to gain access to a protected class, you know, um, because if you're just a regular, like let's say, for example, Bob, I I don't know your particular religious affiliation, but if you are a Christian, well, you're a Christian, if you're a Christian conservative white male, you're like the least protected class in America, you know. It's like there's no special right associated with that, although some people would say there's white privilege, but that's a whole other story. But you're part of the least protected class. But, yeah. Rick, and, you know, same thing as a white Christian conservative female, Maureen, you, you are uh, uh, part of the less protected class. But Rachel Dolezal jumped ahead of the line in the protected class status when she identified as a black woman. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and she wanted to be able to take advantage of those benefits, which most people are not aware of the fact that she sued Howard University which is a historically black college university, she sued them because she felt like she wasn't getting enough of the benefits she was supposed to get. I mean, yeah. so it just get, it's this whole mess. It's this conundrum, and, and uh, it's, it's ridiculous. And as we were saying, and uh, uh, Martha McCallum had pointed out, says, hey, why don't we just get rid of all the hyphens and get rid of all the special classes and check boxes and the fact that, hey, you know what, you're an American, and if you've ever traveled outside of this country, you start realizing how privileged you are to mm. be one of the 320 million people out of the 7.5 or whatever we're at in the world, over 7 billion people on the planet who are gifted with living here 
in the United States and having the protections of being an American. Amen. So well said, Chris. Thank you so much for that. Where do we start to get this message? I mean, you're doing a great job. You and Kevin, that's where I found you both on Fox. I've, I've, I've seen you both on the show, and you guys are working hard to get the message. We're working hard, got you on the show you know, where where do we start? You know, I actually have to be thankful for uh, Facebook because before Facebook, there wasn't really a forum, uh, a way for, you know, for conservatives together. I mean, it's funny because, uh, you know, I just saw a message from one of my buddies and she was saying that because she said something that uh, I guess somebody felt was not uh, as tolerant as it should be toward uh, you know, homosexuals and so on and so forth, they decided to suspend her account for X number of days. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, outside of that, there's a whole circle of conservatives that, you know, we've used Facebook as a tool. I mean, even though they try to oppress us and suppress what we're saying, we've used Facebook as a tool to be able to connect with each other. And now it's just a matter of, you know, us going out there and forming another other organization. Uh, I like, you know, what we're doing with Unhyphenated America. I think it's a message that uh, everybody who loves this country can get behind. Amen to Facebook. Bob and I wouldn't be here without it, right? That's right. Yeah, that, that's where that's where Maureen and I first uh, collaborated. Yep. Yeah, yeah, we were we were in the uh, on Wall Street, both of us working, and uh, you know. That's another story, but yeah, public, you know, social media, absolutely. Um, Chris, tell me your thoughts on what happened in South Carolina and the flag, the the Confederate flag. Can you share with us your your thoughts on that? You know, as a conservative, one of the things I point out to people about conservative is it's actually simple. Uh, to be a conservative. It's not easy, right, because the world doesn't like what we have to say, but it's simple because we we follow principles, time-tested principles and truths, and and being a conservative also means you have to have some intellectual uh, integrity about what you're talking about. So here's what I have to say. You know, I mean, obviously, once again, I'm black, so I feel a certain way about the Confederacy, but, you know, I, I had to kind of take a step back and look at what, what is the Confederacy? I mean, me because I grew into a conservative, what I basically did was say, let me wipe out everything that was told to me before and let me go and do investigation for myself. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, previously when I wasn't quite as a conservative, I just would have been angry and hyper-emotional like a lot of other black folks are about the Confederacy. But I decided to take a sober look at it. And I actually wrote an article, it's on the uh, unhyphenatedamerica.org website, saying, you know, can we have an honest conversation about the Confederacy? Mm-hmm. And here's what I tell other conservatives. Despite what people want you to believe that it was just about states' rights or it was, uh, you know, the, uh, the war of northern aggression, the simple fact is if you look at what the Confederate Constitution says, there were four or five different places in their Confederate Constitution that made it clear that they were about slavery. And, you know, I mean, as a black man, I can't really just be in favor of that. However, you know, and so I don't think that the Confederate flag should be flying over any government building. However, if you personally want to have a Confederate flag on your property, if you want to wear a T-shirt 
that has a Confederate flag, I don't really care. You know, it, it, I don't have any emotional appeal. You know, I don't get all upset like, oh, there's a white guy with a Confederate flag T-shirt. You know, my first thought is not like, oh, he's going to try to lynch me. I don't think like that. And besides that, I carry a gun, so good luck with that. I believe in the Second Amendment. And thank God I live in Virginia where, you know, I'm, I'm 20 miles away from the NRA headquarters, and I go to the NRA range on a regular basis. You know, but, right uh, on, absolutely. <laughs> my husband but, is a my husband is a police officer, Chris, in one of the most dangerous parts of Northern California. So, God bless you. <laughs> We're all about guns here too. Well, yeah, and that's that's it. I mean, look, states' rights are important, and and I think that's if when, when I started studying the Constitution, you understand the Ninth and Tenth Amendment were making it clear that you know if if the Constitution did not specifically say the federal government can do something, can't do it. And also making it clear that just because certain rights are listed here, that doesn't mean it's an exhaustive list. And that's what the 19th Amendments were saying. So protecting free speech, which is an individual's right to have a Confederate flag if they want to, is important. You know, my personal feeling, I'm like, if you want to walk, walk around rocking the flag of the losers, I mean, then, you know, they lost. I mean, it was a rebellion. They lost. If it makes you feel warm and fuzzy, knock yourself out. What about, like, the stores, uh, Walmart and retail everywhere, online, everything, you know, they're banning it, not selling it. What does that say? Well, see, and, and this is the thing. I mean, I, I am a... I'm as right-wing, conservative, free-market capitalist as you can get. Uh, I believe in free enterprise. And, and, you know, if a private business makes a decision to no longer sell a particular product, that's their business. You know, if there's still a demand for that, right, I mean, because, you know, it's just like this. Why are drugs still being used? I mean, even though they're illegal and everything like that, people still buy and use drugs, right? I mean, so if there's a demand for it, if somebody else is going to fill that demand other than Walmart, then people will still be walking around with Confederate flag T-shirts and so on and so forth. And, in fact, they'll become more valuable because you're banning them. Well, so, exactly. Uh, that's my point. When you ban something, you give it more power. That is what yeah. I, that's the message I have been saying. And, and yeah, by I, banning this flag and making such propaganda over it, it's giving it what, much too much power. Like giving it a voice, I believe right? in the power of ridicule, Bob. You know, yeah. I, I think uh, – uh, ridicule and public shaming actually tend to work a little bit better. Uh, which, let's be honest, look at the you know cigarettes. You know, um, ridicule and, and public shame has worked more than you know banning it uh, from a state, local, federal standpoint. Good point. Good point. Yeah, agree. Well, so uh, I, I tell me why you you feel the Confederate flag should not fly over any government buildings in the South. What is your what is your reasoning for that? Well, I mean, it was part of another government. I mean, it, it, to me, it's just like saying, well, why not fly the flag of Red China? Why not fly the flag of Cuba? You know, this is the United States of America. We have one government. And, you know, uh, we have a federal system, right? So you can have a flag of the United States. You can have a flag of your state, California, right? You can have a flag of... Uh, of maybe your county, maybe your city, whatever uh, municipality has its own individual flag, and that's all fine. But you have the Confederate flag represents a 
another government outside of our constitutional system. And, you know, and, and it was clear that they were in rebellion against the United States of America. They formed the Confederate States. And, you know, it, it, I just feel like, hey, you know what, if we're going to be one America, then we can't have another government, having government recognizing another flag. I mean, even when we have visiting dignitaries, we don't have, uh, you know, they'll fly the flag of visiting dignitary, but they don't fly at the exact same level that we fly the American flag. Right. And the flag represents something, you know, it is, it is some, you know, a, a dark history in our, in, uh, in our past in the United States. It was a very difficult time. Um, but I, I agree with you. I think, you know, it, 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 it represents another government, and we don't need to have that uh, represented if we're, if we're trying to move really truly move forward, right? Well, yeah, exactly. If we're going to be these United States, then why wouldn't why in the world would we say, hey, but we're still okay with this that tried to divide us? It just makes no sense from a logical standpoint. There's no reason whatsoever for the flag to fly anywhere in any one of the you know United States. So, what about the Confederate heroes that fought on the side of the Confederacy and you know, it was it was the law of the land. They were fighting for what they believed. Are we supposed to eradicate all of them as well? And, and you know, Maureen, to be honest about that, I, I have to. I haven't given that deeper thought because there, there's that's such a slippery slope. I mean, it is history. You know, they were. You know, uh, they. You have Robert E. Lee, for example. You know, uh, Robert E. Lee, for example, was not in favor of slavery, but he was going along with his states. I mean, it's kind of like, do we continue to honor that? Uh, I could not give you an answer right now because I haven't thought about it deep enough of whether they should be removed or not. But I, I do think if we go that route, as we were starting to talk about earlier, now we start sitting there going, okay, what about the American flag? Yes. Because there are people, like I heard the radio broadcast, uh, I think was uh, – uh, Farrakhan and whoever the other guy was, that other whack nut, um, <laughs> were sitting there talking about, oh, well, the American flag represents oppression. Right. You know, and, and see, that was my main problem with us removing the Confederate flag. I think it should have been removed, but I hate how it was removed. Mm. And, and, and that's, hate- again, it's jumping the gun, getting caught up in the media hype, not understanding the facts, getting caught up in this horrible tragedy, blaming the flag for this kid going out and shooting up a church. We have got to stop this knee-jerk reaction we have here in the United States. Yeah, agree. Well, there's a, it's a Pavlovian response that, that people tend to have to things. Um, we've been conditioned like Pavlov's dog that whenever the – the racism bell gets rung that we start, you know, barking and salivating. And, you know, what's, what's really a tragedy is what we're dealing with with this administration uh, being led by a community organizer in chief uh, who that's what his profession was. Yeah. Right, right. right. He, he, never had any, uh, uh, he never had any background in real leadership or unity or governing. His background and profession was in division. And, you know, but he also, you know, with the left and people like him and the Saul Alinsky uh, disciples, 
uh, acolytes, what they understand is how to manipulate the worst out of human nature. And they know that people, you know, like the mob mentality, they know how to whip up people into a, you know, a, a flurry of anger and everything like that and say, there's the problem. And people like, and, and you know, we know about mob mentality. Even here in the great United States of America, mobs are always a problem. And you have people who are sitting there going, I'm angry. You got all this. It's just like a shaking up a Coke bottle. Right, and mm-hmm. then you pop off the top, the top, and you know it's going to spew out the back. But it also acts as a rocket because it'll shoot it in the opposite direction. That's, That's what right. the left understands about human nature, uh, and, and that they use this one thing. You know, racism is the biggest thing that they're able to use because it is, and and, and, it, and every time the sore gab over and heal, they go picking at it. Mm-hmm. And, and there are people. Now, let me take a step back. Are either one of you familiar with Booker T. Washington, or how familiar are you with him? Pretty familiar. I read Absolutely. some I read some stuff on your site about that you, you posted about him. Great. Yeah, you know, I, I reference him frequently, and uh, I, I affectionately refer to him as that dude. He was just that dude. Mm-hmm. And he was, when you study him, you're like, wow, he was so far ahead of his time. But as he frequently said, you know, and I'm going to paraphrase, is that there, you know, there are a group of people who it's like a doctor that doesn't want the patient to get well because, you know, then they'll lose the patient. That's the philosophy that these people have, you know, that, you know, this is racism and division provide political capital for them. Exactly. And I wanted to reference an article that you, you posted on your site, um, unhyphenatedamerica.org, about Charleston. And you wrote about how the, the, the people of Charleston came together with their Christian values and prayed, everyone. They sent the race baiters down there, but they were overrun by the good people of Charleston coming together in the way that people are supposed to come together, not rioting and burning down Charleston, but coming together as Christians and praying and walking across the bridge. Exactly. And, you know, here's the thing about the left, professional left. Uh, They are relentless. And, you know, I'm going to speak, for example, as a Christian. When you study the good book, you understand that, uh, you know, the, 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 the devil never takes a day off. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, as the war tells us that we should not grow weary in well-doing, we cannot grow weary in well-doing because, you know, once again, the enemy never takes a day off and the left never takes a day off. Every time that we think we have won a victory and we want to take a few moments to try to celebrate, understand that that moment that we let up, they push. Mm-hmm. And exactly. so, you know, what the president did is he went down there and once again, I told people, listen, I couldn't vote for the guy. I'll be honest, back in 2008, I was, a, you know, I was a Republican. I was conservative, but I was not a conservative. But something I was on that line, and I started studying this guy, and I was like, you know, I wanted to vote for him, to be honest. I, 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 want, I wanted to vote to kind of break the barrier and say, hey, you know, this nation can elect somebody who it was not a white male mm-hmm. because – we are a great nation, and we're not going to judge people by the color of their skin. But I, and I wanted to be able to vote for that. But the more I studied, I was like, you know, he's not the guy. He's just, right. I can't do it. And, and I couldn't bring myself to vote for him because I studied him. Yeah, I and did I was too. Like, this guy is a divider. Studied him, Bob and I, financial. We're financial experts. That's we, right. We, yeah. we studied his policy deeply. 
and the and, very, yeah. it's just very un, it's very unfair for for you know I I mean just to try and spread the wealth out for everybody <clears throat> that that's certainly uh, his his mo there but it's it's just not fair for us as individuals as Americans. Exactly, and you know, I mean, of course, everything that I thought he is, everything that I thought he is, and then some, you know, that uh, he's actually been worse than I thought he was going to be, to be honest. You know? Yeah, well, um, I always believed he would, you know, give, an, give him enough space and he would he would do himself in. I mean, uh, he's he's doing exactly that. I knew he was going to get over his head real quick. And he certainly has done that. And, you know, you have to say in, in 2008, he lit it up. I mean, his message, he had crowds. I mean, he really, you know, you got to give him that. Kind of, I mean, I give him a little bit of that credit, but if, it's just like everything else. If you dig a little bit deeper, if you just are willing to turn the next page and read a little bit past the headline, which is what we are really trying to get to, to get people to really, really get farther into the story, get off the headline. Yes. Not yeah. being a surface-level thinker. Um, as uh, Thomas Sowell talks about, you know, the stage stage one thinkers, is that, I mean, we understand the power of optics. He's a, you know, I guess people will call him a good-looking guy, right? He's articulate, got a great smile. You know, he can he can really turn on the charm. And it kind of reminds me of, as I studied the 1950 presidential election, and uh, what happened to Richard Nixon? Now, we, of course, know uh, the whole long story of Nixon, although I think in this day, if I had to choose between Nixon and Obama, it would be Nixon hands down. You know? But, but uh, you know, between the difference... I mean, Watergate uh, was a walk in the park compared to what's been going on now with Hillary and, and her scandals. Oh, exactly. Exactly. If we held him to the same that we held uh, Nixon, it would be, uh, you know, just, oh, my God. But, but Nixon... From the election, excuse me, during the uh, uh, debates with uh, John F. Kennedy, everybody who listened to the debate on the radio said Nixon won hands down. But those who watched the debate and they saw that Nixon had a little bit of a five o'clock shadow going on. He's one of those guys that had to shave three times a day, right? He, was he had a little bit of a five o'clock shadow <laughs> going on. Uh, yeah, sweating up the light. Yeah. yeah, they, they had they had the light they had the light the hot lights on him. The entire time, but not, but not on Kennedy. So you know, exactly. And that was the game changer in politics, really. That was when it became about who you looked like, because TV was kind of in its infancy, and it just became the visual. Yeah, and that's a shame. Like you said, that's the problem. Of and and here's the great thing about what you guys are doing with talk radio is people actually have to listen. They actually have to think. You know, they can't be distracted by you know how someone looks. You know, I mean, let's, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not trying to be insulting, but nobody would necessarily want to sit and look at Rush Limbaugh all day, <laughs> but they'll listen to him because he knows what he's talking about. Right. right. And radio, Bob, Bob does TV, does CNBC, uh, and does radio with me. And I've always done radio. And radio is, when I explain it to people, you, you have to bring the story. You have to continually talk and bring the story. You don't have visuals behind you. You don't have the TV sets and the, you know Fox and all the stuff going on. You have to really bring the picture to the listeners. And that is one thing that I love about it because – it's it's a good conversation, and and I think people like to listen to good conversation. Well, and I think that's the appeal of the reason why. Um, oh God, what was the that leftist radio program that Rachel Madcow had? Oh yeah, the one uh, that failed in about two weeks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because 
when they're just talking, when they're not able to kind of distract you with, you know, when you sit there and listen, you're like, wow, this is crap. Mm-hmm. As, as opposed to when you're having, you know, when you're listening, people know the truth, right? When you hear the truth, when you're just sitting there listening, you're going to sit there and go, you know, I, I don't like what they're saying, but doggone it, it's true. You know, it's yeah. kind of a, you know, that's the reality, and that's why talk radio is so powerful and so important for those of us who are on the conservative side. Exactly, and we've got the, the market cornered, I mean, really, as far as yeah. conservative talk radio. But, you know, I'm sorry, I, just really, I kind of got away from it. I didn't fully answer it about Charleston, but, you know, as you mentioned, I did write that article uh, about you know, saying, hey, Charleston should let their light shine. And, you know, if you kind of – one thing about me, the way I, the way I like to – talk about things and write about things. I believe in bringing uh, some historical context and also try to bring a little biblical context and throw in a little bit of humor to kind of help relate to and give you an idea of what's happening today. That's, you know, every article I write, it it has bits and pieces of that. And frankly, that's also how I talk. I I feel like I write the same way I talk. Um, But with Charleston, I think it was fascinating that, you know, the Civil War started in Charleston. Right. That the state of South Carolina was the first one to secede from the union. I mean, they voted 169 to zero on their state legislature to leave the union. So here it is. You know, you could say South Carolina has a very ugly history, but yet look at how South Carolina responded to an incident that could have just been a powder keg. It, it could have been an explosion. Torn everybody and torn everybody apart, you know. And, and, and you know what? Honestly, Bob, do you agree with me? And, and Chris, the president should have sent a message like you sent, Chris, not the message he sent. Yeah, and I, well, I, well, I just, you know. Oh, go ahead, Bob. I'm sorry. It, you know, it goes back to what Chris, what Chris, what you were saying, is that he he's a divider. And he's not a uniter. And uh, you know, interestingly enough, he's a community organizer, where his experience was. But he's truly a divider of of, of uh, society here, and not bringing everybody together in a way that embraces love and embraces everything that 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 America is all about. So, and he had to do that. I mean, it's like I'm sure that uh, you know when when the people of Charleston got together to walk across the bridge and show unity, and you saw people of all races and ethnicities who were all Christians hugging each other and trying to form peace, I'm sure that the powers that be, whether they sit in the Oval Office or on Capitol Hill or if they sit in the office owned by George Soros, uh, that they were, you know, saying, you know, just all kind of foul things were coming out of their mouth. Yeah, they didn't want to see that. They did not want to see that. They wanted another big race riot down in, in Charleston and, what an excellent article that you wrote. That really, it really drove it home, and especially your message about you know Ronald Reagan being your you know, favorite president. And uh, uh, Bob and I interviewed Mike Reagan a couple weeks ago, and we've been to the Reagan Library several times as guests of a couple of our guests. And um, you know, he talked about the city on the sh- you know the, on the shining hill, and you did an excellent job with that article. It was really an eye opener, Chris. It was great. It was a great article. No problem. You know, I'll tell you, it would be uh, something I would love to do. I mean, is that, man, if they invited me to speak at the Reagan, Reagan uh, Library, that would be, like, huge because, you know, I I grew up, I mean, just to give you a touch on my background, I mean, like I said, I'm 42, so I was raised overseas. My father joined the military uh, just before I was born. So I was, I'm was i a born and raised Air Force brat. And um, 
by the time I was 18, I had lived in foreign countries for about 14 and a half years, mm-hmm. uh, 12 and a half of those years being in Germany. And so we were there in the Cold War. Mm. And just yeah, so I, I and I've been I, I went to Berlin full time while the wall was up, and I always point out to people like you know when you really think about it, and this is one of the things I say all the time on my Facebook page is stop and think. You know, mm. I ask you to stop and think, and, and when you think about it, when you would get on the train in Frankfurt, and you would travel and it's about what sixty miles or whatever like that until you got to the East German border. And the you know the East German border guards they would come on board the train and they would give it a cursory check as the train was crossing into East Germany, and then you would travel what two hours, three hours, whatever the time uh, up to the border, and then you know when you get to East Berlin, and then as the train was beginning to cross into West Berlin, a whole army of guards would come on and they would have the the tons of German shepherds. The guards were armed. They had the the mirrors out to look underneath every nook and cranny to check before this train transitioned over into West Berlin. And why did they do that? Because they didn't want anyone escaping into freedom. Mm. And that is something, you know, and I remember standing in West Berlin at Checkpoint Charlie, which is, you know, a famous famous gate there, uh, Checkpoint Charlie, and looking across at the East German border guards looking at us, and being at the Checkpoint Charlie Museum and seeing all the ways that they would take apart vehicles and all the different things. That, I mean, you know, you're hiding people in the wheel wells of mm. the sneak across the border. Why is that? Yeah. Well, quite frankly, because socialism sucks. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. Okay. It just, it just sucks because nobody tries to leave a great situation for a bad situation. Nobody sits and goes, you know, the weather is just too great here. I think I want to go to where it's cold. Well, well, well you know, what's interesting, what, what's interesting, I think, when you talk about politics and talk about socialism, which, by the way, we do have somebody running for president next year who uh, is a uh, uh, 100% socialist, uh, that's Bernie Sanders. He's even farther left than our current president. Um, but I think when you when you talk about socialism and politics uh, in the context that you are, Chris, it's about desperation. Um, I don't know if you know that when, um, you know, after the Great Depression and uh, when um, in 1932, when Franklin Roosevelt won his first election, did you know that a million people voted for, for communism to uh, uh, in the United States? It's amazing. I mean, out of, despa- out of desperation. Same, right. out of- same thing happened in 08 with Obama. He had that message. He was going to save everyone. We were in a desperate state. We know that working on Wall Street, we were in a desperate state. He came on with this message, and everybody was so weak and beaten up. I truly believe that that's why he got elected. Agree. Well, you know, I think – I'm sorry, go ahead, Bob. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. I agree. Absolutely true. Well, here's what I think is that uh, my my second favorite president, um, you know, what I think, Reagan is is 1A. My 1B is Calvin Coolidge. Mm. I really started studying Calvin Coolidge. I got several books uh, about him. You know, I think I like why why Coolidge matters and a couple other books about him. And you know, I started studying the progressive era. And that, like for example, Teddy Roosevelt was a progressive. He was more of a a bigger government guy. Teddy Roosevelt was like <laughs> he was a saint compared to a, a uh, uh, Woodrow Wilson, for example. You know, Teddy Roosevelt was like, hey, you know, 
maybe things are a little out of hand. I can do this a little bit better. Which and, and, and I like Teddy Roosevelt in many ways, but he was wrong about his progressivism. Uh, but then the progressive era, Calvin Coolidge did a lot to combat that. You know, that when people were sitting there saying, and people were desperate, there was another uh, uh, economic downturn during the, the Coolidge administration. And you know what he did? Nothing. Let the market handle themselves. Right. <laughs> That's exactly what yeah. we fought for. Let it ride. Let, lay it out and let them play it out. And and Obama came in and tried to save everything, and now it's really going to implode. But we have a mainstream media today that goes out of its way. See, and, and I think the desperation, a lot of it comes from people telling you all day, every day, they turn on the news, uh, on radio, on, on, well, not so much on radio, but sort of the news and, and, and newspapers, you know, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Yeah. You know, and of course, don't get me wrong, things are bad in there. I mean, this economy does suck. I mean, you know, Wall Street, you know, the Dow was up and so on and so forth, but it's not translating into real jobs. And a lot of it, quite frankly, has to do with, uh, instead of doing like Calvin Coolidge said, he said that his great accomplishment was minding his own business, right? (laughs) You know, it would be great. Imagine if more uh, people in in government did that. And that was my biggest uh, fault with George W. Bush is him falling under the pressure of saying we got to do something. I guess he didn't want it to be on his watch that there was this, you know, that we fell down. But you know what? In my personal opinion, and I'm not an economic expert like you guys, I haven't studied the market as intently as you guys have, I think that it would have been best if we had, if you will, for a period of time and let the market rebound. We, uh, we agree 100%. Well, you know, as they say in France, laissez-faire, you know, let let, uh, let things, you know, let, let markets do their own thing and, you know, hands off. That's, that's, that's why it's a capital market, right, Bob? That is why we have the system we have. It is not supposed to be manipulated in any way, shape, or form. Well, there, there has to be some sort of... Um, Consequent or uh, or punishment for taking risk and failing. That's 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 the exactly. bottom line. If you take some risk and you fail, nothing wrong with failing. Listen, Christopher, I'm, I've I've failed you know a couple of times at businesses. I'm, I'm sure I don't know what your history is, but I I would assume that if you've done a lot had a lot of businesses, some have failed and and some have really worked out. You know, and, and it just you just you just learn from it and move on, right? I mean, this you don't you don't have to get bailed out every single time. Yeah, you can't fix everything. You can't fit. Nobody can fix everything. There's a con- you're right, Bob. There's a consequence to it, and I mean, Bob isn't. He, he's far more experienced than I am. And uh, and look at what's happening in Greece. The market dumped 350 points yesterday. The banks aren't going to open for six days. Look at what the system that Greece created to give everybody what they wanted: six yep. weeks vacation. Everybody got early retirement, and now look what's happening. Yeah. Well, it, it's kind of the same way, and I'll bring it back to because. You know, when I talk about economics, I, I always like to bring it back down to the micro. And it's also just the social aspect. I was I was talking to my uh, the, the mother of the parents of my godson, and we were talking about him riding a bicycle. And, you know, nowadays, or like for us in our age group, if you dared to put on a helmet, you were going to be ridiculed. I mean, like, I can't imagine seeing any of my friends, like, dude, do you have a helmet on?
has a scar, we can pull up our pants leg or show an elbow and show some scar that we had when we got did something stupid, went down a hill too fast or whatever, and wrecked. And, you know, and, and of course, it hurt like crazy. We were crying to our mom, and we had to have whatever put on it. But you know what? We're still here. Yeah, no pain, no gain, right? talk about it like, man, I remember back in 1978, and I rode this and I hit the wall. But we're still here. Yeah. 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 We didn't have car seats, seat belts. Uh, we drank out of a hose. <laughs> we played out. Now, if you don't – your kid cannot go out inside in front of your cul-de-sac and ride a bicycle around in a circle on a cul-de-sac without a helmet, elbow pads, knee pads, shoulder pads, every kind of pad, because God forbid your precious snowflake falls off the bicycle while doing half a mile an hour. So, <laughs> I mean, it, 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 and see, but that is where all that comes from. We're like, we have to protect anybody from falling down, and all that's happened is we weaken people. Exactly. Safety, safety net, right, Chris? Got to have a safety net there. Yeah. And, uh, Every, you know, I had a I had a discussion with a friend of mine about uh, gun control. You know, after the uh, you know mass hysteria after this shooting, gun control, gun control. My husband's a police officer, 19 year veteran, member of the gang task force in Oakland. I mean, uh, horrible. You know, one of the most notoriously dangerous cities. And my argument was, until the left wakes up and starts controlling the border, we cannot control guns. If we can't control the border, we're not going to control guns. You don't even understand the syndicate, the sophisticated syndicate that these gangs are running drugs and guns up the border. Mm. Nope, doesn't want to hear anything about it. Her yeah. kids have to practice duck and cover because somebody's going to come, on, come in and sh- shoot up their school. And I'm like, the percentage of that happening is so... You're so small. You're better. You're gonna. You have a higher chance of being killed on 101 South coming out of San Francisco than some deranged person coming in and shooting up a school. Yeah. yeah. Well, exactly. And and you know what? All these people, they are sissies. They're cowards because none of them. There's been one exception, which is and that guy was obviously mentally ill. There's one exception. I'm originally from Detroit. I don't know if I mentioned that before. So I'm third generation born in Detroit. Right on. Uh, but, yeah, the, you saw what happened to that city, guy, right? I'm sorry? You saw what happened to that city, 50 years of Democratic control. Oh, exactly. But, you know, about two years ago, three years ago now, a guy went into one of the police precincts and started shooting. Did you guys hear about that? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yep. they did. Yeah. And none of the cops died. One of them was wounded. It took him a while to recover. But he started shooting. And the cops, you know, first thing, you know, they reacted, they, they took cover, they returned fire, and the guy ended up dead. Right. Mm-hmm. It's real simple. That's how it works. Right. Now, see, once again, the whole gun-free zone thing, it's ridiculous. It's That's absolute. where the mass murderers go. Look at the, the Colorado theater shooter. It was a no-gun zone. He drove to the theater that had the no-gun zone. Yeah. And, and I believe, you know, I always feel like this. Now, I'm, once again, I'm a son of a law enforcement. My dad was a federal agent in the Air Force for 19 of his 23 years, 24 years. And then he retired from the Air Force and became a sheriff out in Colorado, which is where, where my family lives now, uh, for 12 him. and a half years. God bless him yeah. and thank him for his service. And as a wife of a sheriff, I certainly can appreciate what he does. Yeah, so I grew up with guns. My, my, I got my first gun at eight years old. My dad gave, my dad gave me a pellet rifle. You know, and, and so, and never once has any gun that I've owned jumped up and shot anyone. Exactly. 
Exactly. You know? uh, that's a, that's a message, a, right? There's a message right there. I mean, just, you know, the guns don't kill, people do. I mean, my husband is armed at all times, off-duty cops are, and people freak out. My friends freak out when I say that. And I'm say, I say I'm here to tell you right now there's no, there is no cop ever who walks around unarmed because we live in the area where he is arresting people, gang members. He's out there. He's got to protect me. If yeah. we're out somewhere and a gang member that he had arrested three weeks ago and got out on a misdemeanor or a whatever, a technicality, you know, you better believe he's going to protect me because that person's going to come after me, not him. Well, and my wife knows. And, you know, my wife did not grow up around guns. I mean, she was very uncomfortable with the idea of me having guns. Uh, my, we were visiting out in Colorado, and like I said, my dad is a, you know, is a, you know, sharpshooter. He was a, uh, uh, one of the, the, the trainers for the SWAT team, besides the fact that everything else he did, you know, and so, yeah, obviously my dad is very well-versed in firearms. We took my wife shooting, and, and I wrote another article on there, and I said, you know, everybody hates guns or is afraid of guns until they shoot one. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as you don't do something stupid, like, I've seen people do stupid things like, you know, oh, I'm afraid of guns. And so somebody said, well, here, shoot this 454 Magnum. <laughs> Throw you know, back that's stupid. Yeah. yeah. You know, here, try to shoot this 12-gauge shotgun. <laughs> yeah. Look, if you've ever done that, you're a moron. Stop yeah, start it. with the 22. Start with the 22. Yeah. <laughs> you know, don't do that. You know, I mean, but you shoot it and you sit there and realize, hey, you know, it, it's, it's not that bad. The gun doesn't fire. I mean, listen, I... I actually have had a gun slip from my hand because my hands were wet, and I had a Glock. And guess what? It hit the ground, and it didn't fire. Right. You know, now there are other guns that have, you know, if you have a hammer back or whatever like that, and, you know, that could fire. But, you know, even then, I'm sitting, I mean, my heart stopped, you know, but I was like, okay. well, the gun didn't fire. Surprise, yeah. right? You, just, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, again, again, you ban guns. They become all the more marketable. Everybody, it's so ridiculous. The more difficult it becomes to get anything, the more power you give it. Drugs, guns. Now, I'm not for legalizing drugs at all, but uh, it's just, it's ridiculous. So, Chris, we have a, a, just a few minutes left, and uh, let's let's talk about our American flag. Can you tell me... Do you feel like our, that flag is in danger? You know, the Supreme Court ruled that on Cinco de Mayo, uh, American, you know, kids aren't allowed to wear the American flag to school because it might offend Mexican-Americans, the hyphenated there. Um, you know, there's been a call, like you said, Farrakhan, uh, claiming that the, the American flag represents oppression. Uh, tell me what the flag means to you, and do you think we're in danger of, of losing that? I am someone who uh, I can't hear the national anthem and not get a little choked up. <laughs> I mean, yeah. um, just to kind of tell you, I mean, like in Colorado, uh, you know, the Air Force Academy is there and you haven't experienced the, pat, you know, real pageantry unless you've been to an Air Force Academy football game mm-hmm. and the core cadets marches in, they have the sky, the guy, uh, uh, skydive in with the game ball and bring the American flag in. They have the national anthem played at the end, right as that national anthem it finishes, they have the flyover. Mm. Well, having like a, you know, having a, chills every time, right, Bob? Doesn't, doesn't every just get the, single just, time. It get, doesn't it just get the adrenaline flowing? Yeah, yeah. every single I, I get a little choked up. I, can, I oh, yeah. get a little choked yeah. up. So, yeah. I mean, so the American flag, especially for me, having been born, uh, being raised over in Germany, seeing socialism, seeing that, knowing that there are people out there who actually want to 
hurt us, who want to conquer us, the American flag, when I see it, it gives me the proverbial warm fuzzy. Um, and, and, you know, and, you know, when you listen to the words of the national anthem, right, you know, like uh, the rocket's red blare, like, and, uh, and, and the fact that, hey, our flag was still there, that matters to me. And so I am very concerned that the left is going to try to target the American flag because of how they've been indoctrinating people for generations now uh, in America uh, and to, to think that America is not great, that I am concerned that we could lose that. But, you know, the only way that will happen, Bob and Maureen, is if people you, like you and I sit back and say nothing. Thank you. Mm. Boy. The left has gotten by, and it's just like Christian, you know, uh, a silent Christian by default endorse everything that the, that the left is doing. You know, right. is that we right. can't be silent about this. You know, we have to make a record. And, you know, social media, uh, uh, radio and all that is very important for us to get organized. I mean, you know, we, we need our own community organizers. Right. Right. Well, we only have a, about a minute left. And, Chris, I am going to get you a speaking engagement at the Reagan Library. I am I am <laughs> going to definitely make some phone calls, and uh, we will get you down there. Because I think uh, there would be no better person to send the message at the Reagan Library. We, I, I definitely am going to make some phone calls. So, that would be awesome. <laughs> Uh, well, and we will be we will join you down there and we'll cover it live. We'll, it'll be a great show. We will I will definitely uh, make some phone calls. And um, so as we end the show for our Fourth of July, I can't tell you how honored I was uh, or we are, Chris, that you joined us. Uh, please give my best to Kevin. I follow him on follow him on Fox, and um, I just love both of your messages. And Bob, real quick, let's close it out. Happy Fourth uh, uh, of July, and it's just uh, you know let's let's remember what uh, what this holiday is all about. It's about the founding of our country, but it's also about our our, our men and women in uniform too. And absolutely, God, and God bless them for helping us uh, keep keeping our freedom and keeping our liberty um, safe from uh, right. from right. others. Well, and we, as we close out, as we always do, thanks a lot to for our listeners and Christopher Har- Christopher Harris. Thank you so much. It was such an engaging uh, show. I just I can't tell you enough how much we appreciate you coming on and sharing your beliefs with us, and we'd love to have you back. And let's, you. See, let's see you at the Reagan Library. Happy Fourth of July to you and your family, Christopher. Unhyphenatedamerica.org is where his website is. And we will have it on our website. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on California Connections. Bye-bye. Thank you all. Thank you all. Bye-bye.